What's going on, guys? This is Coach Ace with another episode of the Complete Baseball Performance Podcast. Joined again today by Kip Steingart and Bill Miller to talk about and follow up with our conversation we had last time on in-season training structure. So first, what's up, guys? What's going on? Hey, how we doing? Good, good. So last time we talked a lot about just, you know, why why it's important to make sure we're continuing our training throughout the season, you know, we, we put a lot of hard work into the off season and a lot of kids, whether it be because of scheduling or just because of advice from coaches that are a little bit more old school, they tend to really tailor back almost too much and, and don't do a whole lot of anything. So we're going to kind of continue with the, the topic of conversation on in-season training. So the first question I'll, I'll ask these guys, we talk a lot about in the off season, you know, developing rotational power and we do a lot of work with that what does that look like in season with you know our players taking you know kind of aggressive rotational swings and throws what what does that training system look like when we're talking about rotational training yeah so obviously there's going to be a lot of baseball players right now where they're rotating more than ever before in the the entire year so you're looking at swinging, throwing on a consistent basis, rotating in the same direction. We probably don't need to do a whole lot of rotational medicine ball throws in season. You don't need high volume of that right now because that's what they're getting by playing and practicing every day. Uh, but what you can do is perhaps use some sort of rotational medicine ball throws for patterning drills, maybe just a handful of reps here and there to feel what you need to feel when you're rotating prior to swinging. You can also use what's called post-activation potentiation, which is basically priming your body and your central nervous system with some explosive medicine ball throws before you go swing or throw. <clears throat> By doing that, you kind of warm up your body and get it ready to throw and swing. Uh, but that's probably all I would really focus on as far as rotational power development. We don't need a whole lot of other high-speed exercises like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I pretty much use it in the same manner as kind of an extensive warm-up, so something to proceed your mobility work as, as well as your dynamic work. Um, just, again, for the purpose of uh, getting your, your central nervous system primed and prepared for for whether it's throwing a baseball or, hit, or hitting a baseball. Um, I think, you know, various rotational med ball drills can be used um, kind of like for the purpose of just activation, uh, sequencing and pattern, and maybe there are some like mechanical inefficiencies that you might want to address. So I think that's where, where you have to get a little bit more specific with some of the med ball drills you use. But again, no more than maybe maybe one, one to two drills uh, of anywhere from like three to five reps to uh, ensure that you are primed and ready to go. Yeah, and I think on that topic too, you also have to remember what that athlete needs the most. And, and we kind of talked about this on the last podcast, but a lot of high school kids, they need that size and strength, right? So your time and energy that you're going to be pouring into your training right now, you want a lot of that time and energy spent in the weight room, spent on strength training. You don't have to waste a lot of energy on medicine ball throws in season. Yeah, exactly. I, you're you're going to be getting so many reps when it comes to throwing and hitting. It's like there's there's absolutely no need to add to the volume when it comes to that aspect, especially, um, you know, when you when you look at especially, you know, say hypermobile athletes or, or even younger athletes, right, who kind of lack stability and control and ranges of motion, well, then maybe the focus is on building proper stability and control in, in certain areas and teaching them proper uh, pelvic stability and control. Let me let me ask a follow up question because like I said, this is out of 
um, things I've heard in the past, so it, it could be very ignorant, but like I said, that's why we're here to learn. I've heard that if you, you know, build stuff in from the opposite pattern, so me being left-handed, doing stuff righty, uh, you know, try to open stuff up, open up the gate a little bit. Is that something that's even still a conversation, a topic in the training world? Or is that something that, like I said, is that just kind of nonsense now? Um, I, I do think it's, it's sort of overlooking what happens when you are training. So when you are doing these explosive movements, a lot of the gains that we make are from the central nervous system side of things. It's from coordination, it's from explosive ability of the central nervous system to send signals to the muscle. So we're not really creating a lot of adaptations that create stability issues, but what will create those adaptations is strength training. You know, so a lot of the rotational work we would do instead of doing opposite side medicine ball throws, maybe you do a pal-off press where it's some sort of a strength-based exercise on the opposite side to make sure both sides of the spine are improving that stability. Yeah, and like I said, that's why I kind of ask questions because as you guys know, and like from the baseball side of it, you know, it can drive me nuts. Twitter is a beautiful place where you can learn a lot of stuff, but there, there is so much different stuff out there that it, it almost sometimes can become paralyzing to a kid when they're trying to continuously learn new things and you get, like you said, some people saying, oh, we'll do opposite-handed stuff because that'll open stuff up. So a lot of it, like I said, it's, you know, when I when I do my research and stuff, there's always looking up different things and going, you know, questioning, does this work, does this not work? So that's something I've seen come up. So that's why I said I wanted to kind of get you guys to address that conversation a little bit. Um, so to kind of moving forward, we talk about, um, you know, in the baseball world, and I, I know I'm sure you guys talk about it too, I know, Kip and I have had this discussion before, but there's the the conversation of the training economy. I know Driveline talks about it. Um, do you want to go into that? Would you like me to go into the training economy a little bit more? Um, yeah, I mean, I can I can talk about the way I approach it. Mm -hmm. um, the the way that I like to approach it is obviously have multiple options for the day. So we know that kids are going to have huge amounts of, of workload spikes throughout the season. Some days they might not even know if they have a practice that day, if they're gonna have a, a surprise game, doubleheader, what have you. So there, we have to have multiple options knowing that if the kid can work at high intensity that day, if they're fully recovered, if they're not showing signs of fatigue, then you push the intensity in the weight room. Well, if we know that the kid is gonna have three, four, five games in a row coming up, maybe it's time to dial back the intensity. And, and you really just have to go off of the schedule, what that athlete is capable of that day, how they feel, just have that conversation with them. And it's funny because we were talking about that, you know, like how, at least on the baseball side, I go into it with a plan, but how sometimes that plan gets thrown out the window the second you have a conversation and they go, oh, yeah, I actually played, you know, six games in the last five days and how you have to tailor back a little bit. So that, that kind of transitions into the next question you know, when, when do you know, or what kind of more specific conversations do you have that talk about like when you need to be training harder versus when you need to kind of tailor back a little bit? Yeah, I, I think the, the first thing is, is whenever an athlete walks in, hey, how's your body feeling? That's, that's going to tell you a lot right there. How did you sleep last night? That's conversation number two. Um, that, th those are both huge for, for understanding what that athlete is capable of that day. If, they, if you know they're sore um, in, in certain areas, then you're definitely going to want to dial it back. You know, and, and another good way to go about monitoring fatigue, if you're really not sure what you're capable of that day, um, 
A fatigue readiness test is something that's super simple. You could take either a grip strength dynamometer, if you have one, you just measure it to see what your grip strength is like. That one's become more popular, but if you don't have anything, you can test to see what your broad jump distance is like or what, uh, how far you can throw a medicine ball. If you know what your scores are typically like in those exercises, um, you could basically test to see in a warm-up setting what you're capable of and if your scores are way down, more than 10% down from what you typically can do, then you know you're fatigued and then it's time to explore other lower intensity training options. Yeah, I think to that point as well as the previous point, like today, for example, is a rainy day. So I've already had a couple of kids that have called me about coming in for a training session tonight because their games this afternoon have been canceled. So if they haven't played since Monday, right, and or, or Tuesday, for example, and they were supposed to have a game today, but it got canceled. Well, now they have until Saturday, so they have that extra day in between where they can rest and recover. So I think today is going to be a, a, a the, the perfect day where we can get a good high training, um, high-intensity high training session and to make some progress in the gym. It, like, this is something, you know, kind of going off that in terms of, the questions we ask in advance it's, it's very prominent in the baseball world too where it's like how do you feel how how did you sleep how did you eat you know a lot of times it's funny we use driveline's track system and the one of the things i really liked about it besides the ability to customize our our own programs on there was they had a wellness questionnaire and a lot of kids i think kind of blew that off look past it not realizing why we're really asking those questions right how did you sleep how did you eat i mean it, it gets really detailed in terms of like what were your macros and you know kids are like well i don't know well, the part of that is trying to start understanding that because i think when the younger like the younger you can start learning that stuff the the easier it becomes as you go through you know the system as you get older yeah so like I, having some experience in the in the nutritional area one of the things that i like to do is like i'll have guys write um in a three day in a, in a food journal like what did the what did they eat for the previous three days right and then we'll kind of sit down and take a look at that and kind of determine like what are some of the limiting factors here and it's like i one of the first things i i say i do not address first and foremost is is caloric intake it's like like i said you have to attack the biggest limiting factor which with nearly a hundred percent of the kids right is going to be quality nutrition so we, we we all know that they're not getting in quality nutrition um so that's going to be the first thing i'm going to work on attacking and then from there it's like am i going to work on attacking breakfast lunch dinner snacks in between well again 99 plus percent of the time most kids are not eating breakfast because they don't get out of bed early so on and so forth so um, that's another conversation is being able to manage time appropriately. But um, I think starting your day off right by getting in a quality breakfast, say anywhere from like if it's four to five eggs with oatmeal, maybe you throw in a scoop or two of peanut butter and some, some fruit to top it off, then you're starting your day off right, getting in some quality nutrition and you're getting in the, um, or at least starting to get that caloric intake that you're going to need throughout the course of the day to recover and of course build muscle. Yeah, and it, it's so funny how, you know, we see a lot of different cool recovery methods, you know, cryotherapy, yeah. saunas, Mark Pro, and stuff like that. And we can talk about those in a bit, but right. there's so much low-hanging fruit right there for you if you are not sleeping well, if you are not eating well, if you're not taking, um, you know, uh, dietary logs and, and journals and stuff like that. There's so much right there for you to gain if you are not doing that in the first place. But you know, I know you work with Mark Pro and stuff like that. Do you have any thoughts on using that for recovery? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we preach it to our guys. Um, we have what, three or four Mark Pros um, at any given time. So um, I just I like guys to get into a routine, right? As as as, as you know, you, you know what a session outline is going to look like, right? You're always you're going to start with your warm up. You're going to get into your speed work, your power work, your strength work, and then that final piece is probably the most important piece of all is recovery, right? And um, like I'm always preaching, preaching to guys, like start working on expediting that recovery process immediately, right? Because the goal is to come back stronger the following day um, and, and get your training session in. So um, yeah, we include recovery modalities like the Normatec and like the Mark Pro. Um, copying, of course, we have a great manual therapist on staff here. Um, if you don't have a manual therapist on staff, then make sure you find somebody who is qualified when it comes to that area in your area. Um, but um, yeah, we, we I like to get guys set up on the Mark Pro for a 20 to 30 minute session after a training session or after a throwing session so we can um, work on proper restoration and of course improving range of motion. With the Mark Pro too, I, I was fortunate enough where ironically, Gary Reinel is one of the, the, the main salesmen for Mark Pro and the, the man's brilliant. He's written a couple books on you know, the, the effects of ice on the body. But, you know, Gary's big thing with using the Mark Pro is talking about how your, your body is this incredible system that, that can recover on its own. But sometimes, like Kip said, we need to, to speed that process up and there, there's congestion that takes place within our body. And, and the Mark Pro is that ability to help kind of break down some of that congestion to let the body do its work for you. So like when we talk about recovery modalities, obviously these guys are way smarter, but like listening to the conversation Gary had, your body is an unbelievable, I mean, it, it is crazy what the human body can do and the ability for it to recover is just, you know, it makes me dumbfounded sometimes, but it's all these things we're talking about. Like we've talked, I think we've had now, this is our third podcast video and I feel like we've brought up sleep and nutrition. There, there's a reason for that, guys. And even me as a baseball guy, you get the guys, oh, why isn't this better? Why isn't this better? Did you eat breakfast? No. Like there's a reason we keep bringing all this stuff up because it's not just about all the, like I said, the Mark Pro, awesome tool, Normatec, awesome tools. Our guys use it. It's not always about that, that, that sexy, you know, shiny bell and whistle, right? I mean, all those tools are great recovery modalities, but like I said, the sleep, nutrition, those are things you can handle on your own at home without the need of stuff. And then the Normatec, the Mark Pro, it just helps speed that process up even more. <clears throat> so with, you know, we, we talked, d dipped into the recovery, you know, Kip, do you want to just talk about what the Normatec is for people who might not know? what a Normatech actually is? Because the Mark Pro we talked about a little bit. Yeah, so, so Normatech basically they are, you have compression pants, compression shorts, or, or the compression arms. So we have the compression pants as well as the compression shorts um, within our gym. And um, basically it's kind of like, um, um, right, you go to the, off, the the doctor's office to get the, what am I, I'm drawing blood pressure. Blood blood pressure. You get your blood pressure checked, right? And it's kind of like it's, um, right, compression you'll, feel um, kind of like enhanced blood flow to the area is kind of the main purpose, right? As far as recovery is concerned, right, the goal is always to enhance circulation and blood flow to um, increase nutrient and oxygen intake to repair damaged muscle and tissue. So then let's jump into, like I said, we, we discussed a little bit of when to tailor back, when to go harder, some of the recovery, recovery modalities. Now what we said we'd leave off with in the last one is kind of what we'll dip into here, which is 
in a, in a perfect world, when you plan like a mock training program or when you plan a training program out for somebody, I know everything, there's so many factors that go into it, but let's just say somebody comes into you, um, let's use a pitcher for example. We'll kind of take maybe two terms, maybe one of you guys takes pitcher, one takes position player, but what would a program for a kid who's coming in the door that, you know, played a game yesterday, what would a program look like if he came in the door um, with you? Yeah, I would say the, the first and most important thing is let's figure out a warm-up routine that you can do on a daily basis mm -hmm. that's going to address your needs. I think like a great warm-up isn't just going to get you ready to go for that day, for that training session, for that game. It's something that you can repeat on a daily basis to address your needs long-term. So like... So, for example, um, you know, we're going to want to make sure that we're going through some sort of soft tissue work, lacrosse ball rolling out, and things like that. It's, it's huge. And then go into your mobility routine. Your mobility routine should really be tailored to your needs. If you lack a lot of hip mobility, then we're going to add in more hip mobilization type exercises. Same thing, T-spine mobility, uh, upper back mobility, scapular mobility, things like that. Those are all huge to address in a warm-up setting. And it's such low barrier entry. You know, we can just hop right in and start doing those exercises. It's not going to take a whole lot of time and energy to get into doing that sort of thing. So with that, I would say you start with your your, your mobility-based exercises there, and then you can progress into the post-activation potentiation, you know, those more explosive movements, um, those things to get your body going, get your central nervous system ready to go. I think once you have a warm-up routine down, you can really begin to um, you know, progress that athlete on a, on a daily basis just by repeating that, that same warm-up routine. Yeah, exactly, right? And that's that's what we're going to be doing over the course of the off-season, right? So there's that's not going to change once we go in-season as far as kind of what a session outline is going to look like. But, you know, typically if you have a player that's coming in from practice, hopefully they've already addressed those things so we're able to get right into the training session. But being that it's high school baseball, most likely, you know, you're not going to have guys out on the field with lacrosse balls and foam rollers and um, addressing mobility limitations as well as going through a proper dynamic warm-up. So, right, when they come to the gym and they work with us, that's the first thing we're going to address before we get into our training session. And, um, again, kind of based off what they did for that day, more than likely you're not going to be doing, again, any, um, any additional med ball work as far as any kind of overhead volume or rotational volume is concerned. Um, kind of like we didn't really delve into, like, jumping or plyometrics, mm -hmm. but... Um, um, if, if, did you want yeah. to talk or you want yeah, to and, and Sprint, that, Sprinting as well, if you want to go down that route. Of course, too, yeah. And, and so then that's, that's a really important point to understand, too, is, you know, what did you do in the offseason to get you to this point? And what I would say is your strength and power training sessions should reflect that. And all we're going to do is cut down the volume by a fairly significant amount. So, for mm -hmm. example, in the offseason, a lot of kids might do five sets of five deadlift, five sets of five vertical jump, five sets of five press, five sets of five row. Let's say we're just throwing out those numbers. Right. What we'll do in season then is we'll do a lot of those same exercises in similar loads, maybe slightly lower loads, but we'll do three sets of five instead, three sets of four. Just cut down the volume a little bit so they're all exercises that you know you can do, you know you can handle perfect form with them, but we're simply going to address them enough to maintain strength. Yeah, exactly. And then um, kind of a, like on the topic of, of sprint work, right? Um, 
the majority of what you're going to see with high school baseball coaches, they're, they're probably not going to be running sprints with their athletes, at least from the daily conversation that I'm having with my guys. They're going to do some form of, you know, shitty conditioning. <laughs> I'm putting conditioning in quotes because we know what that looks like as far as, you know, having pitchers go do or run pulls, right? Or again, the flush runs, which I'm, I'm putting in quotes again. We know that's kind of, we, we know that's a myth and that's not going to do anything in terms of improving recovery, right? Like we had alluded to numerous times, the most important thing that you need to do from a restoration standpoint is work on improving range of motion. So that's going to come in the form of doing something like a mobility circuit or, or sorry, a movement circuit where, our, where we're addressing mobility and, um, and, and the, uh, the joint limitations. Like you had said, we're going to see a lot of limitation and limitations in terms of uh, Hip mobility, thoracic mobility, scapular stability and mobility issues, um, and then of course, um, looking at the elbow, for example, depending on whether you're gonna be a hypermobile guy or kind of more of a, a stiffer guy on that side of the continuum is gonna be dependent upon our approach as well. Um, but back to the topic of sprint work, like if you're not getting in the ample sprint work that you need to over the course of the week, then um, I've, be, I've become a big fan of, of microdosing over the course of the season. So meaning maybe you're getting in not near, not as intense training sessions, whereas you maybe you you know you might get in two to three sprinting sessions over the course of the off season. But once we go into in season, you're doing it less intense but more frequently, meaning two to four days a week. So this can come in the form of a, a pregame warm-up where preceding like say a dynamic warm-up, you're kind of building up by doing like a 10-yard sprint, 20-yard sprint, and then maybe you're hitting one to two um, top-end sprints at about 90 plus percent at 30 yards right, right before you go into the game, and now your body is fully primed for the demands of a baseball game, right? Yeah, and, and I think moving on from that then, I would say in just about every training session that you're doing in season, um, you're going to want to have something that's going to create eccentric strength as well because right. we've seen um, eccentric strength of the hamstring is huge for, for staying healthy around the knee for when we're running sprints and eccentric strength around the shoulder is huge for when we're throwing a lot. So slow eccentric band pull apart exercises, raising exercises with the shoulders, Nordic hamstring curls. I like to make sure the kids are doing at least two or three sets of Nordic hamstring curls over the course of the week. Mm -hmm. um, you know, consistently hammering those at the end of a training session could could make or break you. Yeah, exactly. Kip, you guys saw me kind of make that little frustrated move because we, I mean, Kip, you probably understand. You know, we had one of our athletes get hurt with the torn ACL because everything it seemed like in the mm -hmm. the training was speed, speed, right. speed without that right the stability, the stability yeah, yeah. and the eccentric. You know. The, Ability to absorb force, you know, right? and uh, so yeah, it's, it's, those are the frustrating topics because, like I said, for a long time in the baseball world, and like I said, it, I, you see it a lot out there. I mean, it seems like the baseball world is behind in in, in relation to like golf and some of these other places with technology and stuff. But it's also kind of a similar conversation with like for a long time trainers and remember when I was playing in college. I mean, it was only what twelve years ago. It was. We're not going to do any slow stuff. We're not going to do any eccentric mm -hmm. because it makes you sore, right? Mm -hmm. And that was like the conversation. And then you're like, okay. And what we talk about, then you start kind of feeling like crap. And, and you get little bumps and bruises that you don't, didn't normally get in the offseason because I feel like you're not trained and prepared the same way. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and like you alluded to, like eccentric overload training with Nordic hamstring curls, like that's tough on your body to handle. So we're not trying to do, mm -hmm. you know, four, five, six sets in a session. I would say just 
one to three sets of five reps, that's all you would need, but if you can consistently do that at least once a week, every single week of the season, I think your hamstrings are gonna be healthy, and the same idea can be applied to the rear shoulder muscles, those decelerators for throwing as well. The, the one thing I wanna kinda of take a, uh, go back to, because this comes up a lot as, as I'm coaching, it, you guys have like your set warm-up that you guys do, and I feel like, and, and I know Kip gets frustrated with this because he helped me coach the last, you know, four or five years. The kids desire to not want to do a, a warm-up program. And I think a lot of it stems from, I guess, well, we'll start with this, right? Like, you get a kid getting off the bus in high school and maybe they have 20 minutes, right? So they have to play catch, they have to do all their, take their warm-up swings and all that stuff. So sometimes there's that lack of, of time thought, right? They feel like they have less time. But then you get a tournament where you might tell a kid, hey, I want you to get to the field an hour beforehand if you're in the middle of like games. Because as most people realize in tournaments, with games, you can't get on the field until the game before you is done. And then they usually give you a 15-minute window. So you try to kind of predict it out that there's times that you're going to end up waiting an hour and 45 minutes. And there's time for a game one early because of slaughter rule. And umpire's like, hey, we're starting in 15 minutes. So a lot of kids, they, I don't want to say they hate, but they don't like that warm-up process. And we almost have to fight them into that. But I think a lot of it is they think it takes a lot longer than it really should, right? And I think, Kip, that's the one thing we've kind of had to yell at kids about in the past. And they said, baby, Bill, you could touch on it too. Like, it doesn't take an hour to warm up, you know? And I think that's no. what kids think. And no, I mean, yeah, yeah. You could, you could obviously, have, you know, I've made this mistake earlier in my career. I've had guys go through like every soft tissue drill with a foam roller and a, and a lacrosse ball. And something like that could end up taking 20 to 30 minutes, and there's a 30-year workout out the door, right? And, of course, nobody wants to do that. Um, so, you, you know, you, you really simplify things, right? Um, you know, your assessment is going to tell you everything you need to know as far as what the mobility restrictions are and what you need to address. So if you're choosing kind of like, you know, anywhere from three to five key areas max when it comes to the soft tissue side of things, I think you're going to be in a pretty good position where, you know, now you're spending three to five minutes on some getting in some quality soft tissue work. And then from there, you go into your reset drills as well as your mobility work. Maybe you're looking at eight to 10 drills there. That's again, maybe what, six to eight minutes at most. And then you get into your dynamic warm-ups, such as your skipping series. And um, maybe again, if you're gonna do some PAP work, you do a quick set of med ball, work, a quick set of med ball throws, and then uh, maybe some, some jumping variations, such as a lateral hide. And, um, and then for, you know, of course, there's going to be some guys that like to take their J-bands out to the field and, you know, uh, how many times we've joked about this as far as, like, <clears throat> guys doing, you know, one too many exercises when it comes to their J-bands and kind of do it in a haphazard, careless manner and, um, right, we know, like, the last thing you want to do, of course, before you pick up a baseball is fatigue your arm because you're going to be more prone to injury, so... That's where I teach guys maybe two to three drills at most where you're doing maybe anywhere from like six to eight drills at max where again, you're just kind of working on getting into the right position, working on some patterning, activation and sequencing. And then from there, you're good to go. So that all in all can take anywhere from maybe 12 to 15 minutes max. Some guys, it takes them a little bit longer. I, you know, I can tell you for, for myself, I was a guy that took maybe 20 to 25 minutes max to warm up. Um, granted that I had the time, but that was kind of the luxury of, of working over the summer or coaching in the summer and coaching in the fall as you can get to the field an hour to an hour, 15 minutes before the game started. So you can essentially knock out everything that you need to get accomplished before the game. But 
with high school baseball, like you said, you might have 20 to 30 minutes max. So, you know, if you can take a lacrosse ball or, or even a massage gun on the bus with you to an away game, that's going to be a huge plus, and you'll have something like that in the dugout during the game too. Um, but you might have time, you know, to only go through about five mobility drills. So that's where we're going to kind of choose our most bang for our buck um, mobility drills where we're getting everything we need that right. we talked to you about before. So. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll tell you my biggest tip for having a fast warm-up that's effective, bring a stopwatch with you or, or just have some sort of timing device so that each, if you only have eight minutes, let's say, mm -hmm. before you guys got to take infield, outfield, you can get six, eight, ten different mobility drills done. Just make sure you're spending 30 seconds on each one, transition to the next one right away. You know, find a way to get a lot of different movements in instead of just sitting there kind of stretching a little bit and then oh you've been talking to your buddy for five minutes about that girl that you like so now yeah. you, you ran out of time have a stopwatch have a plan get as much as you done it can get done in 30 seconds at a time right. flip to the next exercise yeah I mean how many lunging variations do we know right you yeah can, you could do a spider-man lunge an overhead walking lunge um, you know, lateral lunge variations where essentially you're, you're getting everything you need from ankle to hip to T-spine, um, shoulder and scapular mobility and stability. You know, the, one of the best things I heard when I was, I did went to a pitching seminar that Tom House ran and it was, I mean, it's such a subtle, simple thing, but it's, you know, we, we warm up to play catch. We don't play catch to warm yeah. up and, you know, it, it's such a simple thing, but yeah. It's amazing how many kids, and like I said, part of it is is the education out there, and you know that's kind of why we want to do these podcasts is to keep educating both parents and players. But like, it doesn't take a long time to warm up to then go play catch, and and kind of to what you were talking about, Bill. Like, catch is the same way as warm ups. How many times the kid just kind of screwing around? Like, you have twenty minutes, you got to get your stuff done. You can play a solid game of catch in five minutes if you're sitting there and you're actually like playing catch, throwing it back to your partner. It's not that lazy catch. It's not that, like you said, talk about who knows what, right? Like, I always told my, my players, I'm a laid back guy. I don't care what you talk about as long as you're getting your stuff done. But the second it starts interfering with that, that's when I'm going to get on you because it shouldn't take that long to go through a warm up, to go through a good play, a good game of catch. You know, the only guy, and sometimes you have to rush in that situation, which you don't like, is your, your starting pitcher. But I've literally gotten in arguments with umpires before in summer tournaments going, we're starting in 15 minutes. And I, I said, no, like we're starting in, give me 25 at least so my pitcher can get a warm up, play a good catch. And like I said, it might have pissed the umpire off before a game, but like there, there's a give and take, right? We, we can't be lazy with our warm up, can't like I said, shoot the shit and now be stuck and that we didn't do our job. I think that's why people, like you said, that's why people feel like the, the warm up can take 35 minutes. Well, when you're sitting there with, like you said, I like the idea with the stopwatch, right? When you're sitting there with no kind of conscious of time, you're like, okay, we're just going through the motions. <clears throat> of course it could take 35 minutes. So I, I said I wanted to bring that up because like I said it's, it's a problem that we see in the baseball world. And I know, Kip, you've experienced it. I, I guarantee everyone who's been a strength coach who also is in the baseball field has experienced the, like I said, the complaints and the lack of desire to do a, a proper warm-up because of, of whatever thought it might be. Um, and like I said, that could sit, there are so many different topics we can we can jump into. We'll we'll cut it off here. I know one of the topics that got me thinking about while we're doing this is that we could talk about you know what do we do in game, right? Do we want a kid just sitting on the bench like getting stiff during the process? Are there things we can do? But we'll talk about that in a different conversation just for scheduling purposes. But I just wanted to bring that up because I think that's something we can definitely chat about. Like 
what am I doing if I'm going to be going in to pitch in a couple innings? What should I, my warm speed, my J bands, uh, what type of throwing prep drill should I do? So I'm ready when I'm called upon. So um, any final thoughts before we, we get off here? Um, yeah, I would say your, your warm-up routine and your recovery, those are all things that are in your control. And if you are a serious baseball player that wants to play in college, these are things that you can start um, hammering out those routines. We're all you know, routine-based. That's, that's part of being human. So if you create your routine and you stick to it on a daily basis, it's going to feel natural in no time. Good enough for me. And yeah, I say to, to, to piggyback off that, it, it's structure. A lot of people think structure is bad, but we've talked about in the past with goal setting, structure equals freedom, right? The more I get my habit down, my routine down, it just becomes second nature. And now I know, okay, I have this much time to get this done. And it just helps uh, eliminate the stress and, and you know the, the tough things that happen throughout the day. So with that being said, um, we will see you guys again on another episode. Thanks for listening, guys.